I'd love you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And, um, uh, but we're going to first of all look at three different other, at first glance, I guess, seemingly disconnected passages of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 4. And then hopefully, kind of, hopefully, <laughs> he says, bring them all together. Um, we finished off last week uh, our Romans 12 series, where we spent basically seven weeks looking at the kind of church we feel God is increasingly want us to be, the kind of church where everyone is gifted in some way and less about coming here to receive from a limited number of people and more about every single member is gifted and using those gifts and giving of gospel ministry themselves and ministering to one another as we grow in being disciples and family members and missionaries and that we are to use those gifts that we have uh, to the glory of God and for the goods of others. And I want to develop that thinking a little bit, I suppose, further today and over the next few weeks. And we're going to get a little bit theological and uh, a little bit deep into into the word a bit. And that's all good because it's fun to do that. So we're going to start in scripture. Scripture number one is actually in Psalm 68. Keep your, uh, keep your finger in Ephesians 4 if you've got a proper Bible. But Psalm 68, all of these verses will hopefully appear on the screen for us in a few moments. And Psalm 68 is one of the most uh, obscure of the Psalms and hopefully as we look at it it'll make a little bit of sense later on and it it both kind of recounts Old Testament stories of a covenant keeping faithful God who's faithful to his promises uh, to gather for himself a people from all nations and it kind of in doing so foreshadows the New Testament and the eternal future where that is kind of fully complete we even sang about it a little bit in our worship earlier this psalm is all about a warrior God who uh, is a victorious king who, who kind of uh, takes weaklings and nobodies, if you like, and rescues them from death and marches with his kind of uh, victorious, invincible, heavenly armies. He takes authority from, he defeats earthly kings and enemies, and he takes uh, rebels from their kingdoms as captive for his own. He receives victory gifts and then he brings them all into his holy eternal dwelling place to be with him forever and the key verses for us today uh, verses 17 through 18 the chariots of God are twice 10,000 thousands upon thousands the Lord is among them Sinai is now in the sanctuary You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Go back to Ephesians. You can stick your finger, if you've got your finger in Ephesians chapter four, actually gonna be in Ephesians chapter two for a moment. Verse 19, I said three random scriptures all coming together. It's actually four. So then, verse 19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in him verse 22 you also are being built together into a dwelling 
place for God by the Spirit. Two scriptures down, third one. Flick back to Romans. I didn't tell you about that one earlier, sorry. Romans chapter one, verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Finally, let's get to Ephesians 4. Let's pull it all together. Ephesians 4, verse 7, we're going to start from. But grace, let me just find it, was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Those of you who can remember back to Psalm 68 a few moments ago, that's where that's from. In saying he ascended, verse nine, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness in, of Christ. Let's just pause to breathe for a moment. Ephesians chapter four, for some of us, quite familiar verses. Over the last seven weeks, as I said, we've been looking at Romans 12, that everybody, each one has a gift. Each one of the people of God is gifted somewhere in some shape. And today, and over the next few weeks, we just, under the kind of loose title of gifts to the church, we're gonna just turn our attention for a few moments towards what we call the people gifts, which you see here in, in Ephesians 4, verse 11. And we're gonna look at, over these next few weeks, at some of the kind of people gifts, the leadership gifts, if you like, in the life of the church, whose purpose, whose role, whose job, the reason they have been gifted by Jesus to the church is very, for verse 12, to equip the saints, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And today I wanna just talk uh, for a few moments about and set in the context of all this, the role of verse 11, and he gave the apostles. That's what we're gonna just look at today. Particularly, I wanna set this and these next few weeks as we look at different leadership gifts uh, in in the kind of, Big picture, big biblical picture, if you like, of what is going on. And we're going to just do, for these first few moments, a little bit of um, theological heavy weight lifting, all right? And we're going to kind of just stretch our, our brains for a moment to understand what all of this is and what it's for. And I want to point to you from Scripture so you can see it for yourself why these gifts are given to the church, to what end, and why they're important as we look at this over the next few weeks. And so this is where we start with Ephesians 4. The context for Ephesians 4 is taking, this is really important, is taking the reign of Christ, the rule and the supremacy and the authority of Jesus Christ absolutely everywhere. 
That's the context of Ephesians 4. Look at verse 10 with me. That he might fill Jesus, that he might fill all things. Now this idea of Jesus filling all things is is built upon from the Old Testament. The Lord himself in Jeremiah 23 says, do I not fill heaven and earth? This filling of all things is not kind of a filling in some sort of semi-physical sense, but by his mighty rule and reign over everything, over principalities and powers and authorities and earthly kings, over absolutely everything. If you've got your Bible open in Ephesians 4, just turn back for a moment to a couple of chapters to Ephesians 1. Because in verse 21 of Ephesians 1, talking about Jesus, it says he is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The whole book of Ephesians is all about Jesus ruling and Jesus reigning and filling everything with himself. Back in our thinking for a moment to Psalm 68 where we started, Paul in Ephesians 4 says Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Psalm 68 says. He is the victorious king who has taken authority from principalities and powers. He's the one who has taken prisoners captive in order that he may dwell among them. It's exactly what Paul has been saying. If you've ever read Ephesians, the whole thing throughout Ephesians, he says, God takes hold of people who were dead in their trespasses, dead in their sins. And then Ephesians 2 tells us he has made them alive in Christ and brings them into now his new temple, which is the church. And the imagery there is that this victorious king is taking captives for himself. Captives who used to belong to another kingdom. And he's saying, no, they're now I'm having them. They're now mine. They're in my kingdom. And this is not negative imagery of kind of, well, now they're in chains. This is actually, they were in chains and now they've been released. I am bringing them into my kingdom. It's wonderful. Ephesians 2 tells us they are now become fellow citizens. They are citizens with the saints. They are members now of the household of God. They become a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. And then Paul adapts the words in Ephesians 4 from Psalm 68. Verse 18 of Psalm 68 says, he received gifts. And Paul adapts that and changes the wording and says, he, the victorious king, gives gifts. He's talking about here, this is really important. He's talking about the ascended Jesus who gives these gifts, the one who has returned to heaven, the one who from his position in heaven rules with absolute supremacy and authority over all things. Just pause for a moment and think biblical timeline. Okay, biblical stories, we have the the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus and then Jesus ascends to heaven. What happens next in the story? It's not a trick question. Right after Jesus has ascended up to heaven, Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And at Pentecost, it's the birth of the church. It's the moment where spiritual gifts, which are gifts that Jesus gives of himself to his people, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, is the moment those gifts are released and poured out. Now, just again, pause for a moment. This is really important. And 
really cool. <laughs> like not just in a theological geeky sort of way. This is, this is, oh wow, when you see this, this is quite stunning. What was Pentecost? I don't mean for Christians. We know what it is for Christians. It's the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What was Pentecost for the Jews at the time? Pentecost was the moment where the Jewish people celebrated two things. Firstly, they celebrated receiving the law from Moses. And secondly, it was a moment of thanksgiving for the harvest. Pentecost was the second of the annual harvest festivals. It came 50 days after Passover. It's why, this sounds like a bit of history. No, this is really cool, really important, massively significant for our lives today because this was the reason why Jews were in Jerusalem from every nation. It was the reason why they were there. They had come to celebrate Moses going up the mountain and coming back down with the law and they were there to celebrate Thanksgiving for the harvest. Now, everything we just looked at, Let's just pull it all back together for a moment because Paul has both of these things in mind when he writes Ephesians chapter four, which is significant for us. Because Moses went up the mountain, he went up Sinai and he came back down with the law. Literally the 10 commandments written in tablets of stone. That's what he came back down with. Went up and came down with law. Jesus went up, not the mountain, but went up to heaven. And he comes back down, not with law, but with grace and the Holy Spirit. But not only grace as in contrast to law, but he comes back down with grace gifts for the whole church. Not with a list of things you now must do, but with here's a thing to empower you to do the very things I've called you to do. Why does he do that? precisely for that reason, to empower his people, his body, to do the things that Jesus himself did whilst he walked in earthly body, in in his earthly ministry. Which was what? What did Jesus do in his earthly ministry? He was taking the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, absolutely everywhere. Just for a moment, roll all the way back to Genesis, right in the beginning. Right at the very beginning, there was light and there was life and there was love, right? God perfectly dwelling with his people. And then man rebelled and sin enters the world and light, life and love is completely broken. Everything is broken. There's now, instead of light, there's now darkness. And instead of life, there is now death. And instead of love, there is brokenness and disconnection. But what does God do? God who is light, who is life, who is love. He sends his son, Jesus, and he says, hey, you in darkness, do you want light? You in in death, do you want life? You in disorientation and disconnection and brokenness, do you want love that heals everything and binds everything up? And in Jesus, we both receive those things, light, life, and love, and we spread those things, light, life, and love to many others. So, you know, when we talk about kingdom, we're talking about bringing the rule of Christ, the light of Christ, the life of Christ, the love of Christ into every sphere, every area of life, whatever it is you are doing this time tomorrow, you are taking the kingdom, the light, the life, the love of Jesus into those places. Light into darkness, life into death, love into disconnection. That is taking the cosmic reign of Jesus everywhere. And remember that second part of Pentecost? Harvest, 
Taking the reign of Jesus everywhere is also about people from every tribe and every tongue being saved and added into his family. If you are a believer here today, that is precisely what has happened to you. You were once a rebel. You were once dead in your sin. You were once an alien and a stranger, an outsider. You weren't part of the family. You were an orphan. You were separated from. But then the victorious king came and took you for himself and added you into his body, into his family, into his people, the church. And now he dwells with you. And now you are to be a witness of this to others. You are an ambassador. You are an agent of his kingdom that many others might experience the same. It is all about now spreading the reign of Christ. And so therefore, because it's all about spreading the reign of Christ, it's all about harvest. And because it's all about harvest, it's all about encountering others with the light love and love of Jesus in order that they might too become fellow members, fellow citizens, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow ambassadors, fellow agents of the kingdom so that they might also go and use their gifts for the extension of the kingdom of God, the reign of Christ, the all in all in every sphere, in every area, in every nook, cranny, workplace, community, street, family, every everything. That is what it's all about. Jesus is extending his reign. He is extending his kingdom everywhere. And in his wisdom, his primary vehicle, his primary tool for achieving this is his body, his people, the church. That is you and that is I. And he has given gifts of himself in order to accomplish this. All sorts of different gifts. We looked a whole load of them in Romans 12 series. But at the same time, back to Ephesians 4, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds, teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so now the whole church is supposed to demonstrate the unity of the gospel. We're a family of pardoned rebels, multicolored, multiracial community in which Jew and Gentile have been brought together in unity in one body. And the church now is supposed to demonstrate what the future looks like. In unity, yes, but also in maturity. And maturity in this sense here in Ephesians 4 isn't about a knowledge of doctrine. Maturity is about reflecting and living Christ in every area of our lives. Maturity is about how you live this time tomorrow and how you live the day after and the day after. Maturity in Christ is not just a load of stuff that you know here. It's living it out in the fullness in every sphere of where we live, work and play. That's the fullness of him in everything, in every area of life. And this is the purpose of Ephesians 4 gifts, what we call the the people gifts. And we're just gonna focus on apostles for a few moments because the primary function of apostles is not having better organized churches. It's about so that churches can be released to kingdom purposes and to continually remind us that ultimately it's all about harvest. See, the victorious king is extending his reign absolutely everywhere. Back to scripture number three for a moment. 
This is precisely what Paul understood as his apostolic mission. Romans chapter one, verse five, he says it's all about his, Jesus, it's all about his namesake, to bring the glory of God everywhere. His apostleship is, is a ministry of grace. It's not about law, it's not about works, it's not imposed, it's grace. He received his apostleship, he tells us here, from the Lord. Apostle simply means sent one, sent with authority from God and gifting on a mission. And his mission is what? Among all the nations, it's this worldwide, call, including those who are totally unreached with the gospel. And so this task of reaching the nations of the world, people from every tribe and every tongue, is not yet done. And so therefore, these grace gifts that are given in the form of people are still required and the gift of apostle still functions today. Now, for some people, that's an obvious statement. Well, of course they are. And yet in certain areas of the church, certain traditions, certain whatever, that's a very, very controversial statement. Now, I wanna say a few things. Obviously, when we talk about apostles and apostolic ministry today, we are not putting them in the same category as the 12. For example, no apostle or anyone with apostolic ministry today is writing scripture. That is complete, that is finished. But their gift, the apostolic gift, still remains. Ephesians 4 tells us it's the ascended Jesus who gives the gifts. After Jesus had had left the earth, these gifts are given. Now, if you think about it, when the 12 were appointed, the original 12, the first apostles, Jesus hadn't yet ascended. He was still on the earth. And so Ephesians 4 can't be talking about them because it's talking about the gifts he has given, the grace gifts, the people gifts, the gift of apostolic ministry is given from the ascended Jesus. So we've got this big picture, kingdom, extension, the rule of reign of Christ going on. That's what these gifts are for. But what specifically do apostles do? Now there's confusion within all sorts of different streams of Christian Christianity and traditions about what the role of apostles. Some think they don't exist today, only the 12. We've already seen it's the ascended Jesus and so um, for what they, they, it does and they're still needed. In other traditions, apostles are like super leaders. They're like far above mere mortals. You have like normal people and then leaders and then another category of themselves who are up there and they have their own private parking spaces and worse, all right? Some of you know what I mean. But as we look at scripture, we see they're still required because the rule of Jesus Christ is not everywhere and that's primarily what it's about, equipping the church to push the rule of Christ everywhere. But we also see, look here, Romans 1, It's about servant leadership. It's not about super leadership. That's servant leadership. They are there to serve the the gifts, to serve the body of Christ, to extend the reign of Jesus. Not there to be served. And so we see, as we look at scripture, the apostles and the gift, the apostolic gift has a number of functions. And with that big picture in mind, what what do they do? Well, the first thing they say is that they lay a foundation in churches. Now, if you think about it, that's an obvious thing to say. Church is the people of God, the dwelling place of, of God by his spirit. And so therefore, it's important that the church has good foundations. And it kind of makes sense that God would be very concerned with the good health of his church. If you think about it, good health starts not with what you see, but with what's underneath, right? Think about foundations in buildings, okay? Or kind of, look, can paper over cracks and stuff, but if the foundations are essentially wobbly, it doesn't matter how much wallpaper you put up, that thing is falling down. 
It's exactly the same pastorally when we deal with people and we're always talking about you're in Christ, your identity in Christ. Why? Because it's a foundational issue. We don't want to just deal with these things here. We want to deal with the root, the health, the foundation. Get that right. Everything else can be built healthy on top. And so apostles lay foundation in churches. They might plant the church themselves or somebody might do it on their behalf. That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, according to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let's each one take care how he builds upon it. Paul knew he was responsible for laying the foundation. He knew the foundation had been laid. And then the Corinthian church, they knew who had laid it. They knew who was the one who had, who had laid that foundation in their church. Now, to be very clear, the foundation of the universal church has been laid once and for all in the New Testament based on the prophetic promises of the Old Testament fulfilled in Christ and revealed by New Testament apostles and prophets. But the, very practically, each church in each generation needs to be relayed, have its foundation relayed, and it's best done by those who are gifted to do so. So apostles then become like fathers to those churches and, and fathers to the leaders in those churches in order to ensure that there is good health and foundations in the church. They are fathers. They are not super pastors. They are not the head of the, of the hierarchical tree. They're not the top of the organization. They're not unreachable, untouchable, like you, oh, oh we can't ever talk to, no, no, they're fathers. Think about a healthy father for a moment. They are approachable. They are there to serve their family, not to dominate it. Paul regarded himself as a father. He refers to Timothy as his dear child. He says to the church in Corinth, you don't have many fathers. He influenced, not by appointing people to say, you go and do this and you do that, not regional supervisors or underlings, but by raising up sons. And he encourages them to lead their churches in the same family kind of manner. There's this fatherly relationship. It's not imposed, it's grace. It's not functional, but relational. And out of that fatherly relationship, what do apostles do? Well, they input into churches. They equip leaders. They equip the church. They remind, they, they remind them of the whole counsel of God. They bring accountability to leadership teams. They're known to the church family too. They should be approachable in that sense as well. They speak into the life of the church. They help shape things. They help churches connect with other Ephesians 4 ministries. Not every church has an apostle and a prophet and an evangelist all within the local church. So part of apostolic ministry is helping expose the church, a local church, to those things. Apostles also, as we read through scripture, have a big concern with the poor. And so continually you want to remind churches of that as well. Now that might not be coming out of the mouth of the apostle, but you should hear in a local church a continual, we are concerned about the poor. We talk about it here in terms of prioritizing the least, the last and the lost. We are concerned about the things that God is concerned about. We want to build a church like the one we see in the pages of scripture. That comes from a foundation laying of apostolic ministry. And then, of course, apostles are involved in the wider mission, particularly to unreached peoples of the world. They get churches engaged with and involved in world mission. It's precisely why Paul uh, kind of announced the church in Rome. You can read about it at the end of Romans, why he was coming there, because he's on his way to Spain. <laughs> and I want you to be involved in this. I'm on my way to Spain. I'll call him with you. You're going to help me. And we're going to go. What on earth has this got to do with anything here at New Community, apart from some of the obvious things? This matters for two reasons. One, it's part of our history here. And two, it's part of our future here. A year or so ago, God spoke to us prophetically 
about redigging the wells. Those of you who've been around for last year, couple of years will have heard us talk about this. We did a whole series on it. Everything that we've been doing over the last few years has been shaping around this. And it's a prophetic word from Genesis 26 that the wells had been dug by Abraham and they needed to be redug by Isaac in a new generation. And many years ago, when Dave Holden handed over and transitioned leadership of the church to me, there was a, it was a word that was sh- spoken over me in another context, I've shared this with you before, of somebody who didn't know anything was going on in our church and, and prophesied again this uni- redigging the wells. Abraham, I mean, Dave's not Abraham and I'm not Isaac, but that, there's that kind of, let's just be crystal clear on that, all right? But, but there was that, this has been redug. This has been dug and it needs to be redug in a new way. The same values, but it needs to be redug in a new way for a new age, for a new generation. And it was significant. And this is part of that. Ephesians 2.20 speaks of the church being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. That is true of this local church. Some of you have been here for a long time and you, you know better than I. I've been here 17 years and I know this to be true. I've experienced it, I've heard the story. Some of you have been here longer. But this is true of this local church. New Community belongs to an international family of church, which is known historically as New Frontiers. And truthfully, from pretty modest beginnings in the 1960s, from a a place called Seaford, or if you are from down here, Seaford, led by a guy named Terry Virgo, this family of churches began to grow. This movement of autonomous, like-minded churches who were committed to working together. Tagline for a long time was a family of churches together on a mission. And what made local churches part of the same family was their unity around four things. Around shared beliefs and values. Around shared mission. Around genuine relationship. And around recognised leadership. And this included a belief that is still held that Ephesians 4 gifts are God-given and needed and are still in operation today. Local churches are led by local eldership teams, but those with apostolic gifting speak authoritatively into churches at the invitation of those local elders. And in 2011, New Frontiers at that time had, was in over 60 nations with over 800 churches. Terry transitioned the leadership, not to a single successor, but rather a multiplication of apostolic gifting in various nations. Now, where previously New Frontiers had referred to one apostolic sphere, it multiplied into many. And that term apostolic sphere comes from 2 Corinthians 10, 15, which is translated differently in different translations. NIV says it's an area of activity, ESV says an area of influence, but that term does not refer primarily to geography, we're not organised into geographical kind of places, but to relationship and influence. In other words, an apostolic sphere is a group of churches that relates to a particular apostle and his team. And Dave Holden, who is part of the team here, he'll be preaching next week, he was originally one of Terry's team. And Dave was the guy who laid the foundation in this local church or dug the original wells, if you like. Obviously with the help of others, not entirely by himself. But he was recognised as one of these Ephesians 4 apostolic gifting guys. And he leads one of these spheres which eventually became known to be New Ground, which is the family of church we're part of. This is our identity. This is part of what we are. New community finds its identity through its historic relationship with the apostolic movement that's New Frontiers. And the story of New Frontiers is important to us because it's our story. This is who we are, it's where we came from. Apostolic ministry then is in our DNA. 
And it also therefore means it's gonna be part of our future too. As we've been on this reshaping journey post-COVID, and this is where it lands, this is where it becomes not just theological kind of, oh, that's interesting, but lived reality for us. As we've been on this reshaping journey post-COVID, we felt God remind us of many things and challenge us actually on many things that are in our DNA, which have led to us refocusing our energy and our attention and our effort on the things that matter most. And so we talk about it like this now. We exist to make disciples, family members, and missionaries of all nations to the glory of God. Remember, this is what we're part of biblically. All about harvest, all about the filling everywhere with the reign of Christ. His glory shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea one day. We're not yet there yet but we're closer than we were this time last year. And by the grace of God, we will be closer next time, next time next year than we are currently right now. And of course, it's not just on us. We're part of a global movement of the people of God. And outside of our global movement, there's other networks and families. Some of them are significantly bigger than us. We are part of the people of God, the co- pushing the cosmic reign of Christ into all things. And we are responsible, not for what anyone else does, but for what we do with the call of God on our lives. And as we read the New Testament, we're convinced that gospel advance happens as members of the body of Christ give themselves fully to being disciples. Those who love Jesus, know Jesus and follow Jesus. Family members, those who recognise that you don't do this by yourself. We're all needy and we're all needed. That it's not about me, it's about we. That there is a collective communal family thing that we see in the pages of scripture. It's not just me and Jesus and a meeting I attend once a week on a Sunday. I am part of the people of God. I am a family member. And those who are also missionaries. Those committed to being and sharing the good news of Jesus with those around them. And all of this is of all nations to the glory of God. The very essence of apostolic ministry is that it's always pushing out. It's always about pushing us to fill up everywhere, all things with the rule and the reign of Christ. And so a church shaped by apostolic ministry will be too. Has been in our past, pushing out of all, to all nations to the glory of God, and it needs to be more so in the future. Here's where this lands for us. Because for some of us here, that will mean going to other nations to the glory of God. For others, it will mean staying here, but being far more intentional about reaching people of different nations who live in the places where we live, work, and play. We need to press into this more and more going forward. In, in September, October, the start of the next term, next, in, after the summer, we're gonna be speaking more into this, sharing more of our plans for how we want this to be very intentional, this all nations part of why we exist and what we can do to push further and further into that. And for some of us, that will involve church planting, or moving to be part of church plants, or moving to new areas to help strengthen and lead churches in those places as part of our apostolic family of churches. And so we want to be far more intentional about the raising of leaders here, specifically with that in mind. And as Jez said on that video, we've got some significant things to share with you on the 13th. I just want to say, come on the 13th. If this is your church, whether you've been here for one week, two weeks, or 25, 35, 45 years, we'd love to invite you to come on the 13th as we share some more of this. I think it will be a significant moment. 
Now for some of us, truthfully, this won't look like church planting, but it will look much more like kingdom work than ever before, demonstrating and showing and spreading the light, the life and the love of Jesus in your sphere of influence. The victorious king is extending his kingdom and he's doing it through you, not just what happens in here for two hours on a Sunday or a community on a Wednesday night, but in everything, whatever it is you do, whether you're a teacher or a hedge fund manager or you cut them for a living or whatever it is, God is putting, he's put you in that place of influence, whether you're in the NHS or in business or you stay at home mum or you're retired and you're in your street or in your family, whatever it is, pushing the kingdom cosmic reign of Christ in all things far more significant. What you do matters. What we do in here matters, of course it does. It matters far more what you're doing this time tomorrow than what you're doing right now. That needs to be pushed into in ever increasing ways because God has gifted each and every one of us to use our gifts. Very few of them will be on a platform thing. Frankly, the action is not here and we need to completely dispel dispel this myth that my gifts to be used need to be on this platform. No, they don't. They are gifted and to use out there where it really counts, where it really matters, where the action is. There is very little action going on in here right now. (laughs) Most of it is out there where the kingdom cosmic reign of God in Christ is being extended where the glory of the Lord is going out and you have been called and equipped and commissioned to go and do that Monday through Saturday and Sunday is this reminder moment this lift your head moment this come on this is the this is what it's all about let's go again let's go again celebrating the wins commiserating the losses weeping rejoicing celebrating all the stuff we were reminded oh yeah my heart needs to be reminded I will sing of the love of God forever he has done great things tomorrow is going to be tired but I I need this this building up this filling up to enable me to do all the stuff I have to do tomorrow and the next day, and the next day. And I need to be in community with others to do that because just having a meal once a week is not sufficient. Just being topped up once a week on a Sunday is not sufficient. And if you think it is, you have misunderstood what all of this is about. Because it's not about meetings that we attend, although they are important. It's about life lived out as disciples, family members, missionaries, for all nations to the glory of God. And for all of this to work, Everyone needs to be using their gifts for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, for the making of disciples, family members and missionaries of all nations to the glory of God until we attain the unity of the faith because we're not there yet. The church does not yet fully picture what it one day perfectly will. We are called to continue that journey and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to maturity. We're not yet mature. We know a lot of stuff. In this local church, we know a lot of stuff, but we're not yet mature because we haven't yet fully realized the outworking of kingdom ministry that takes place not here on a platform, but out there in real life. That's what we're pushing more and more into. You know, the gospel is advancing right around the world. This is what we're part of. And so we need apostolic ministry because we need to be be reminded of it. So often we have such a tendency for kind of mission drift. We sort of get sidetracked by other things, but this is important. Yeah, it is, but not as important as that. We need to remind you, but this is significant. Yes, it is, but not that. We do it on the, that. That's what we go for again and again and again. We have this, all of us have a natural drift or most of us have a natural drift to inwardness. We all do it like me. And it's like, no, Lord says, no, lift your heads. Come on, let's go again. Let's go again. Time to push out into our spheres of influence that we currently have and new ones. And apostolic ministry needs us too. 
For it to be effective, apostles need to be apostles. And apostles mean sent ones. They need to be sent from somewhere. In practical terms, that means that through local churches supporting apostles in prayer and encouragement and finance, we are, we're a home base for Dave and Liz. We're the place we get, they get sent from. We are their letter of recommendation, if you like. We are their home. But what they do is not disconnected from us. It is us. And it will be reshaped, and we'll talk more about this, even some of it on the 13th, but we're, in, we're all in on apostolic ministry because we're all in on kingdom extension of all nations here and overseas to the glory of God. Just go back to Psalm 68 with me as we finish. This psalm closes with a prayer that God will do for his people what he's done before. Look at verse 28. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you've worked for us. Summon it, O God. Bring your power to bear and prayed in confidence that one day all that Zion foreshadows will be fulfilled in an international gathering, bowing in glad submission to Jesus, the exalted King. People from every tribe and every tongue will gather around the throne and we are a tiny little foreshadow of that. We are a prophetic statement of what is to come. One day we will see it gloriously and fully in all its magnificent mosaic beauty and we're supposed to be a little bit of it now. And by the grace of God, we're a bit more of it now than we were before. And by the grace of God, we will be a bit more in the future going forward too. This is part of who we are. This is the distinct calling on the people of God. It's a unique calling, particularly to us as a local church. God's put it in our DNA. It's part of our history, which means it is definitely part of our future eternally and in the next few years as well. And as we join this triumphant song, look at verse 32. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Bless be God as we sing this song as we join in this song we feel something of the gladness and joy that comes to the people of God from knowing not just of Old Testament stories past not just from stories at New Community past but from what he's doing now and what he's going to do in the future eternally and also in what, however long we've got before that happens whether he takes us to be with him or he returns we have got better days ahead of us to the glory of God because of the promises of God. This gives us the assurance that we escape ultimately the final rescue from death itself. For God has won by Jesus. We can trust God in Jesus. God will gather a people from every tribe and every tongue around Jesus. This is our future. And so we're gonna push more and more into this as we start a new chapter in the new community story. What's the Lord calling you to? Because I guarantee, at the very least, it's using the gifts of God that he has given of himself that the cosmic reign of Christ in all things might extend throughout the earth. Holy Spirit, would you just come now and give you a presence with us? Oh Lord, would you just seal this stuff in us? The cosmic reign of God in Christ throughout all the nations of the world every tribe, every tongue, every people group. Summon your power, O Lord. Summon your power by which you have worked for us. May we join in this triumphant song of Psalm 68.
May we be a people who increasingly play our part to the glory of God, making disciples, family members, missionaries of all nations to your glory, for your name's sake, for the good of us, for the sake of a lost and broken world. Deliver us from small thinking. Deliver us from just limiting who you are and what you can do and what you might do and what you will do. Deliver us from thinking it's just about attending on a Sunday. Lord, catch us up in your glorious plans and purposes on the earth. Oh Lord, we thank you for leadership gifts which continually stir us and remind us this apostolic ministry of like, no, no, this is what it's about to the ends of the earth. And Lord, help us to be a people who increasingly play our part in that for your glory, our good, the sake of a watching and broken world who needs the light, the life and the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. 